Hey there, folks. John with the Bucky Cast. I've got another opponent preview for the Badgers for their 2023 football schedule. A little bit of non-conference, way out of our normal area of talking to folks. I have here with me uh, Dan Danny Reed, the voice of Georgia Southern Eagles football. How are you doing today, Danny? Oh, John, I'm great. Good to talk to you, my man. Awesome to talk to you. You're the first like professional broadcaster we've interviewed for these um, for these uh, season previews. So I'm a little stoked. This is exciting. Can't get any more of an insider opinion than the guy who's calling the games. Well, the funny thing about this is Wisconsin probably doesn't know a lot about Georgia Southern and Georgia Southern's never played a game in the state of Wisconsin. So we'll get a chance to shake hands and hug a little bit once September gets here. <laughs> well, let's. Let's hope so. Let's hope it all doesn't end in tears. If uh, <laughs> if you if you pull another uh, Nebraska game on us like last year, then uh, there's going to be there's going to be quite a lot of uh, upset Badger fans. But we won't worry about that for now. Uh, first of all, Georgia Southern um, out of the Sun Belt. Everyone calls it the Fun Belt because of the explosive offensive action that goes on. Um, it, it's the main competitor in action. On uh, weekday nights, once it gets to be late October and November, always fun to watch. I always try and catch those games. But um, in terms of, like, style of play, three years ago, if this game had been played, it would have looked very, very different offensively. Um, uh, Georgia Southern was a triple option team, if I'm not mistaken. Very run heavy. Wisconsin run heavy. That's not going to be the case this year in the game. Uh, can you explain a little bit, uh, Clay Helton took over as the head coach, former USC, much maligned former USC coach. Clay Helton came in and pretty much changed the landscape for Georgia Southern football. Can you explain what that process was like? Yeah, to what you said a little bit earlier, that if this game was played three years ago, I'd be worried that if it was on television, nobody would get commercials in because it would be finished in about an hour and a half with Georgia Southern running the option and Wisconsin going out of the power eye so much. But for Coach Heldon and staff to come in, turn over about half the roster due to the transfer portal in one year, they also did a recruiting coup where they went to every single county, all 159 counties, in the state of Georgia, they visited every high school. They really wanted to ramp up those recruiting efforts because when you change offensive schemes this drastically, it opens up another can where you can go get a caliber of player and a kind of athlete that maybe you weren't recruiting when you had a different system. But the key was getting the quarterback. They found Kyle Van Trace from Buffalo. He had spent five years playing for the Bulls. And the funny thing is, even though he was coming south to Statesboro, Georgia, to run a relatively new offense. This was very similar to the scheme that he ran in high school up in Stowe, Ohio. It was a perfect fit. He equaled the numbers that he put up in Buffalo in five years. He had the third best passing season in Sunbelt Conference history. And he was able to combine some of the new guys out of the portal with a Jeremy Singleton, who was only going to be here for one year after transferring from Houston. He ends up top 10 in the league in catches. But Georgia Southern was able to use a number of guys from the receiving core just differently. They were guys that were here, but they were just being used differently, like a Caleb Hood who shattered the school record for catches and yards in a season 
Derwin Burgess was a highlight reel every week until he got hurt. Amari Jones out of the slot was outstanding until he got hurt against Old Dominion. So you had the pieces there. It was simply being able to manipulate them and use them in a different way. And they still ran the football more than 30 times per game when you got a guy like Jalen White, who is, I think, an NFL caliber running back. He hurt his knee last year against Marshall, but since he's come back in the offseason, he looks bigger, he looks faster, he looks stronger. I know that sounds a little bit cliche, but for this offense to really go, you've got to be able to keep defenses honest with that running game. He's someone that can legitimately touch the football 20 to 25 times per game, whether it's running or out of the backfield. He had 22 catches last year. We only had one reception combined his first two seasons. But the fact that they build up the depth that they have at the skill position, bringing in a Davis Brin and a J.C. French to battle it out at quarterback to try to expand the offense a little bit more. And you got three starters back on the offensive line, which includes a seventh-year tackle in Brian Miller and a first-team all-league guy in Khalil Crowder. So even though there are some pieces that are different, the base and the philosophy that was installed last year was really successful, and you just hope that this year things continue to improve and maybe we see this offense do some things where they only scratched the surface in some areas last year. Wow, that's that's about as comprehensive of a view as you can give of an offense uh, in that space of time. Thank you for that. Uh, uh, question now on, on defense. Uh, Defense is not necessarily the uh, the bell cow of the Sun Belt Conference. Uh, what can we expect to see on defense? Who are the playmakers over there? Well, the good thing is for Georgia Southern, that's got to be better because a year ago was the worst defense in school history, just could not stop the run, giving up almost six yards per carry, which is unheard of in the history of this program. Up front, you're going to have a lot of newness with Deshaun Davis and Isaac Walker at defensive end. Now, these are guys that played a little bit last year. Davis, in fact, really came onto the scene when he had two sacks in a game against a South Alabama team that ended up with double-digit wins. He actually had sacks on back-to-back -back plays to end the first half of that game. Somebody that was unblockable down the stretch. And instead of having two sixth-year defensive ends like what Georgia Southern had last year, going to be very young up front. There is a lot of athleticism in the middle. Latrell Bullard is a 345-pound defensive tackle that moves really well for somebody that is as big as he is. He got hurt towards the end of the season, but he's back and healthy. And I think he's going to be an underrated part of a new defense with Brandon Bailey coming over from Buffalo, the youngest defensive coordinator in the country. They're going to be operating more out of a four-man front this year with heavy in the nickel. But for Bailey, a guy who not only is from South Georgia, but went to Georgia Southern, graduated from Georgia Southern, was a student assistant at Georgia Southern. This seems like about as good of a fit as you can ask for. Linebacker-wise, you've got your two inside guys back with Mar Marquez Watson-Trent and Kadri Jackson. Marquez had 114 tackles last year. That was the most by an eagle in 20 years. Secondary is going to look a lot different. Lost three guys to power five transfer. But you insert a Cam Williams coming in from Washington. T.J. Smith, who was part of a Big 12 championship team last year at Kansas State. Demel Hickman may be slotted in as a starting corner, transferring in from East Carolina. Seth Robertson and Mark Stampley are guys that are back from last year. They do have starting experience. Stampley may play a little bit more nickel this year, which – if you look at what happened a year ago, Derek Canteen was a freshman All-American at corner in 2020. He moves to the nickel last year, and now he is trying to make waves at Virginia Tech. So maybe for Stampley, not that we hope that he leaves Georgia Southern, but maybe he can have similar success and open up his game a little bit more. But strictly with what the numbers were last year, Georgia Southern did not get enough pressure on the quarterback. They were minus five in turnover margin. 
that's a big emphasis for Buffalo. They were number seven in turnovers forced in the country last year, but it all starts with the ability to get pressure on the opposing quarterback. Let your athletes make plays with that front four, and then the back seven just put them in the right position where you can get the ball right back to the offense. Yeah, the uh, the transfer portal taketh and it uh, it giveth away as well. So I, you know, I always thought that was the nice part about the transfer portal. It's like you're going to lose some good players, but there are good players stuck on uh, on Power Five teams that are willing to go down a level and make a name for themselves. Uh, definitely sounds like what's going on at Georgia Southern. So in terms of a record, um, I know they, they made it to a bowl game last season. Is this, is this team going to be a bowl team, do you think? Sure, hope so. I mean, <laughs> a year, I mean, a year ago, the idea of a three-win team drastically changing on offense, was there going to be improvement in year one? And as we found out, in some ways, absolutely different offense, three wins you mentioned already over Nebraska, beating a top 25 James Madison team, and then becoming bowl eligible by knocking off your arch rival in App State to end the season in double overtime at Paulson Stadium, one of the most thrilling moments in the history of the stadium, but also losing three times when you scored at least 30 points, just an illustration of how turnovers really fit this team in certain instances. They had two fourth quarter leads by double digits that they let slip. So defensively, if they just firm things up a little bit, maybe you were talking about an eight or a nine win team and the possibility of winning the East last year because Coastal slipped a little bit, App slipped a little bit. James Madison technically won the East last year in their first year in the FBS, but because of them bumping up, still ineligible to win the championship. They couldn't go to a bowl game. That's going to be the same this year, even though they were picked to win the league. So the East is really wide open. And in the Sun Belt now, if you slip for a split second, you go from a team that's maybe eight, nine, 10 wins to a team that's struggling to save 500. That's the how thin the margin for error is in this league when maybe it didn't exist that way when Georgia Southern and App State joined this league at the same time in 2014. You can make the case that they were the two best teams in the league, and that's going up from the FCS level in the Southern Conference to the Sun Belt. But what this league has become pretty quickly, it's been pretty remarkable. And now with 14 teams with the four additions from last year, it's a prize fight every week. And if you can somehow come out on top or near the top at the end of the season, Maybe you're competing for a division title, a chance to play for the Sunbelt Championship, but hopefully at the very least you're going to a bowl game. Now, Commissioner Keith Gill has said ideally he wants half the league to play in the postseason. That's exactly what he got last year. Seven of the 14 teams played in a bowl game. If you can get that every year, that's tremendous, especially considering that the college football playoff is going to expand to 12 teams when we get to 2024. And that's going to be a crazy season on a number of different fronts, college football playoff notwithstanding. But for Georgia Southern's success this year, find a way to get past six wins, be able to steal some games that you're not supposed to by virtue of the high-powered offense, and then make sure the strength of that defense can get you some wins that maybe you didn't last year. And then you're right in the discussion to win an East championship and then just see things, how they go from there. You definitely don't want to be in the position Arkansas State found themselves in where they were a, a power in the West and just uh, lost their coach and all that, uh, just a minor slippage. And they were suddenly, you know, in the basement. So uh, 
so uh, you, you've sort of answered, I had two questions wrapped up in there and you, you've answered them both. Uh, that's, that's incredible. Uh, I'm trying to think of another one to ask. Uh, we'll go, we'll go straight to the fun question. We'll go straight to the fun question. Everyone knows that everyone in the South is rabid about football. Uh, it, That's what we know, hear. This, this is, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's a twenty four seven three hundred and sixty five uh, day uh, season down there, even for high schoolers and you know middle school kids, pee wee leagues doesn't matter. They love their football. Now, Georgia, Florida, and Alabama reputedly are are the most insane states for football <laughs> in terms of like what what they expect i'm, I'm excluding texas because they're they're crazy about everything they're insane right. about everything right. so um of those three states georgia alabama and florida which has the craziest football fans it's got a lot of layers because all three of those states have schools in them that have won multiple national championships. So yeah. all could make a pretty compelling case that for Florida, they're the craziest Alabama is. And then with Georgia, I mean, selfishly, I would have to say the state of Georgia is because you've got the two-time defending national champion Bulldogs up there in Athens. And yeah. I think they're trying to become the first team to three-peat since Minnesota did it in the mid-30s. So that'll be something that's talked about. We don't need to talk long. about Minnesota's national championships that they won before before the Truman administration. <laughs> Not worried about those. They like to talk look, about them. Nobody else does. Look, as long as you guys get the axe back this year, you're going to be fine. That's right. You're already my favorite guest on here. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get that it, axe back. As far as which is the most rabid, my experience is that Georgia is – Unlike any other, you, you've also got a Georgia Tech team that has won a national championship within the last three and a half decades. Kennesaw mm -hmm. State is bumping up to the FBS in Conference USA within the next couple of years. Georgia State within a decade and a half has solidified itself as a very solid program. They went to three straight bowls before dipping to four and eight last year. I, I just know with Statesboro, Georgia Southern's fan base is remarkably passionate there was a 15-year stretch from 85 to 2000 where they won six 1AA national championships. They've been to eight championship games, which was unprecedented until the rise of North Dakota State. But to, to truly be at Paulson Stadium on a game day, whether it's a Saturday or now in the case of the Sun Belt trying to get the national exposure, it might be a Thursday, a Wednesday, a Tuesday, what have you. It's a different feeling at Paulson than any other place I've ever been. The fans feel like they are right on top of you. They'll pack 20,000 in there. You can get to 25. You see the Eagle walk two hours before a game. You feel the team take the field. But when the fans are really into it and when an opposing team recognizes that the student section is getting to them, that's when you know they're cooked. And you could probably say that to a degree with most teams and most fan bases, but specifically with Georgia Southern, they know what winning looks like, and they demand it because for a time, that's all Georgia Southern did. It's been very up and down since they moved to the Sun Belt in 2014, even though they won a league championship in first year with an unbeaten record. They were 8 no in conference play that year, went to a bowl game with nine more wins in 2015, but it's been very roller coastery since then. 
and trying to get this program established to the standard that it was not all that long ago, but doing it in a different way, it's taken some people time to get used to that because for 40 years, if it wasn't option football, it didn't win. Now, last year, to see that a spread system throwing the ball 50 times per game could beat a Big Ten team, a top 25 team, and your arch rival. Look, I know that there was a loss in the bowl game, and I know ultimately it was a 6-7 and seven record, and 6-7 and seven is not the standard of Georgia Southern. But the proof that it could be done in another way has started to turn the narrative a little bit that Georgia Southern is capable of being more than just the team that has three running backs and a quarterback under center that was going to run the option 60 times per game. Defensively, it's all—it's always been about stopping the run, but with the way college football is trending now, you've got to be able to stop the pass with all the athletes that are on the field. If Georgia Southern can do that just a little bit better, and I'm confident they're going to because I think Brandon Bailey is one of the hidden gems in coaching across college football. If Georgia Southern does that and the offense, even if they don't improve immensely, if they just have steady water, if they're able to not take a step back it's a team that's, one, going to win at least eight games, going to get back to the postseason, but it's also going to have the fan base and the passion that everybody expects from a Georgia Southern. Wow. That definitely summarizes the way uh, Wisconsin fans are, are feeling about um, their team going into this uh, next season. Uh, just, you know, it, it's a radical, radical change. And I'm curious, I hope that we have um, as much, if not more success in our conversion to a new offensive system as Georgia Southern did uh, for your team. I mean, it, it at least got them back to a bowl game, which I'm sure was was the ultimate goal. Yeah. Okay. All Simply having the portal now, because if you didn't have the portal, I think it'd be almost impossible to have that kind of turnover and have success right away, because usually you'd have to wait at least a year for guys to be eligible. But now knowing that you've got the ability to come in right away, despite it being a new place, guys know how to play. Guys are athletes and simply having given them the chance to not have to be on scout team for a year and basically not be able to improve when it counts. Yeah, there is value about being on the scout team, which in some way the story changes a little bit, but being able to come in right away, have an impact like a Kyle Van Trees did last year, like a Davis Brin and a J.C. French are hopefully going to be able to do this year. It's just the era of college football that we're in now where a flip can happen quickly if you get the right players, you put them in the right position, and you get consistent buy-in. And Georgia Southern had that to a degree last year. They're just going to need to have it more so if they're going to take another step forward. Awesome. Well, all of, all of my questions have been answered. I'm I'm pretty sure that our, our fans are going to definitely find this informative, you know, coming from a, a base where, you know, everyone knows about the Sun Belt and, and the Fun Belt part, but they, you know, the, the, the details of the rosters and what's going on within that conference, it's kind of a shame, but, you know, there's so much noise out there in college football, it kind of crowds out the Sun Belt and the MAC. And, you know, they, they wind up on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, you know, trying to make a living. But as a true college football diehard, I can tell you that we thank the, the Sun Belt for having those games on and giving us something to do, you know, on those on those cold October and November nights up here when you just want to sit down and watch some football. Well, keep keep in mind now, Big Ten's going to some Friday games this year, too. So you're kind of jumping on that wagon as well. 
They they are um, they they're not getting in my opinion they aren't getting very good Friday night games <laughs> like I but you know that's the nature of the beast now uh, TV television now runs the Big Ten so we do what we do what they tell us to do <laughs> well thanks so much for being on the on the podcast Danny uh, can you tell folks uh, how they can how they can tune in how they can listen if someone wants to listen to you calling a Georgia Southern game. Yeah, you can go to our website, geoseagles.com slash watch. You can also find us on the Varsity Network app. Just search Georgia Southern Eagles Sports Network. All of our major sports are on there. And it, it's hard to believe we're this close to the start of another season. And yeah. we're not not all that long away from coming up to Madison here in you know, barely over a month. Yeah, yep. It'll it'll definitely be a, an interesting experience if Georgia Southern fans make the trip up here. They're probably going to find out that they thought they were coming to an Arctic wasteland, and it turns out it's really, really hot in Wisconsin in the summertime. Look, if you just put a couple bags of cheese curds, nobody will say a word, and everybody <laughs> will be happy. They'll be even oh, happier if the Eagles win the game, but just make sure you give people some cheese curds. They, they'll be happy. Just, just have them wander up and down our Regent and State yeah. Streets. They'll find cheese curds in abundance. Along with anything else they want, bratwurst, you can get the whole Wisconsin experience up here. Oh, I can, I'm can. i over with some of that. I can do some bratwurst. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thank you so much, sir. You got it, buddy. All right, folks. John from the Bucky Cast saying peace out, people. <laughs>